0: Let's pray. Our God, as we look at your word this morning, we pray that you would cause us by your spirit to be completely open before you, open to your good influence, open to your transforming grace. May you work upon us according to your good pleasure. May you continue and and indeed bring to completion the good work that you have begun in each one of us as your people. May you break our desire to sin and, and make us eager to do that which is good and honoring and glorifying to you. In all things, may you be honored and glorified. It is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You know, it's always an anxious moment especially for families and friends, when someone is reported missing. Especially if it's a, a child. You know, the family just goes frantic. All of a sudden, everybody begins to, to look everywhere for their child and looking inside and outside. And if they can't find that child, then they notify the authorities to get help that others may be looking for their child as well. And if the authorities are stumped and can't figure out what's going on Oftentimes, they send out an amber alert or something to let everyone else know so that they can be looking for that child as well and the whole time the family waits expectantly for any word on the location of their missing loved one and they do so because they know that if someone is gone from the safety of their own home there's a very real possibility that harm could come to that child sometimes maybe even fatal harm and so it's a moment of great joy when that child is found and they're okay. But a time of great sorrow when they've been found and it's, it's too late. What's interesting is we come to the end of James' epistle. He could have ended this epistle any way he wanted to. But the Holy Spirit led him to speak of the wandering brother of the person who was wandering from the faith, wandering from the truth. And so James says, My brothers. Now he he uses that term like eight times in this epistle, which may not sound like a lot, but compared to the other books of the Bible, that's actually quite a bit. Because as we've seen through this letter, James is a man with a pastor's heart, and he loves his people. And he said, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. If anyone who is part of your church wanders from the truth, what? What does he say? Talk about them with other Christians and remark about how you haven't seen them in a while and how they should be in church? Or... Is Does he say, well, you just need to call the elders of the church, and particularly the pastor, to see if they have pursued that person and they've done something about them missing from church? Is that what James says? No. Of course not. Now, let me just say this about the elders. It is a responsibility of the elders of the church... The leaders of the church to, to care for the flock. I mean, Hebrews thirteen seventeen says that the elders are to keep watch over your souls as men who will give an account before the Lord Jesus Christ. So yes, yes, the leaders of the church are to pursue those who are wandering in their faith. But it's interesting because that's not what James says. James says, and someone brings him back. Anyone brings him back now what's so significant about this is is if you look back at verse 14 you know James is giving all these admonitions and he's saying pray you know if things are going good in your life pray if things are going terrible in your life pray he said you know if if you're sick pray and he's having all these admonitions about prayer but in verse 14 he said is anyone among you sick he said let him call for the elders of the church If he wanted us to to think that it was responsibility primarily of those to seek the wandering to be the elders, he would have said so in this text because he's already admonished the elders to do certain things. But that's not what James says. And he doesn't say, if you notice that someone's been missing from church for a while, you need to call their shepherding elder and make sure that he gets on it. No, James says that anyone is to go after that person. Any fellow Christian and the point that James wants us to see here this morning, and if you don't get anything else, get this, the believers are responsible to help restore strained sinners to the truth. The believers are responsible to help res- restore strained sinners to the truth. We are to preserve each other from error. We are not to leave the job to somebody else. Now I'm going to come back to this a little bit later. But, you know, I want us to think about this for a moment. This makes perfect sense that it is the responsibility of every Christian. If our Lord and our Savior left the 99 to go get the one, maybe that's you, maybe that's me, then does it not make sense that if we have the heart of God, then surely we will pursue those Who wander from the faith to seek and to save the lost? Well, you would hope so. You would hope so. But many times that's not the case. And and, and I've been a pastor in a lot of different churches. And I've seen people leave churches all of the time. And no one ever goes after them. Matter of fact, sometimes they don't even know that they're gone for six months until after they leave. And then they say, hey, I haven't seen so-and-so. I wonder what's going on. So we can't assume that when, and notice that I said when, I didn't say if, but notice that when that happens in our fellowship, we can't assume that someone will automatically pursue that person or that family. We must develop the mindset as a church. We must have the mind of Christ. We need the Holy Spirit to cause the gospel to work so deeply in our souls that we would be compelled to pursue the wandering Christian. Now, brothers and sisters, I know that what James is calling us here to do is most difficult. Most difficult. I've had the privilege to do this on a number of occasions. And the task is often about as pleasant as trying to help a wounded dog. You just know that no matter how gentle you are, you're going to get bit. And oftentimes that's the case when you seek to go after someone who is wandering. So we need to listen carefully to what James tells us today. And he wants us to see, first of all, the possibility of wandering. And I think we oftentimes maybe don't really grasp that this is a real possibility in our church. And I think as Presbyterians, we want to you know sort of sit back on the doctrine of the preservation of the saints or the perseverance of the saints and say you know God's going to keep us faithful to the end and the reality is that is true but the other truth is is that God uses means as well that he uses his people oftentimes to be the one to help preserve others and to call them back to himself Now, I I want you to notice the verb that James uses in verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. Now, this is the same verb, just maybe used in a different form in James chapter 1 and verse 16, where where James says, do not be deceived. That's the same word. Be deceived, my beloved brothers. So there's a sense of deception in wandering. And it's often a self-deception. You know, a person who is wandering in the faith oftentimes doesn't even realize that they are wandering from the faith at first. You know, it's just everything seems normal. If you ask them, how are you doing? I'm doing great. You know, they don't really see that that there's a problem. And so the person is wandering, sort of traveling aimlessly from place to place, spiritually speaking, and not following the truth of the Christian faith. And wandering takes place by just a moment of deviation that eventually becomes the direction of one's life. Like I said, no one usually intentionally sets off to wander from the Christian faith. They just sort of are maybe off just a little bit. It's sort of like that illustration, I'm not a pilot, but I've heard this from pilots, that if you're in an airplane and you're just off course by one or two degrees, doesn't sound like much, right? You're okay. But if you do that for a long period of time, you will end up hundreds of miles away from your destination that you were shooting for. And sometimes it's that way in the wandering. That, you know, we don't expect to be in a different place, spiritually speaking, but we oftentimes are. You know, I heard this week of a a man who took his daughter to a ball game and there were thousands, I don't know, maybe tens of thousands of people at this ball game. And, And she was right there with him and he said he was walking and all of a sudden he turned around and she was gone. And he said, you know, she had just wandered off. She was walking with her dad and she was tracking with him, but something caught her attention and she went in that direction and then got lost in the crowd and she was gone. Now, the good news is he eventually found her. But that's oftentimes what wandering looks like, that we just stop to, to look at something, spiritually speaking, and and, uh, and we were off direction. Now, I want us to look at what James means is he talks about the truth, that they wander from the truth. You know, I think when we think of truth, we oftentimes only think of that which is the intellect, you know, because oftentimes we equate truth and knowledge, which tr- is true. Knowledge is part of truth, but it's more than just knowledge. Paul says in Titus chapter 1, verse 1, as he's speaking of the truth, he said, Their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. And so so truth is not only that which is intellect, but it's what we do in terms of living our lives as well. Truth is a living thing. When it grips our minds, biblically speaking, when it grips our minds, it also changes our lives. It's impossible, biblically speaking, to make truth a mere matter of holding to some propositions or creedal statements in our heads. If we claim to know the truth then the Bible requires us to prove our claim not only by reciting these creeds or these truths and by understanding them, but by the evidence of the way of life matching that truth as well. And so I say that because I want us to understand that wandering from the truth can be more than just believing the wrong thing. You know, uh, Paul talks about uh, Hymenius and Philetus in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 17, were men who swerved from the truth. So what their struggle was, was an intellectual error. They, they, they swerved from the truth, and I'll talk about them more in just a minute. But then Jude talks about another kind of wandering, and he's compelled to write to fellow Christians because he sees the faith threatened by those who pervert the grace of God in licentiousness. In other words, it was all about license. You know, yes, I know I'm a Christian, but I can, I can do this. We can sort of push the boundaries on sin and, and that. So their error was more of behavior rather than uh, belief. It was really a sense of godless living. So wandering from the truth involves both doctrinal error, but also godless living as well. And so you may have someone who knows their stuff, they know their scripture. They know their theology. And, and they're just like, you know, you talk to them and you think, wow, I just want to be like those people. And yet you might see them in their life begin to wander or to stray from godliness and from godly living. And brothers and sisters, I want to tell you, just because they know a lot doesn't mean that they're not wandering in other ways. And we need to be aware of that. And as we, it's interesting, you know, as we look at the New Testament, just see all the different people that wandered from the faith. There's a lot of examples. Let me go back to Hymenaeus and Philetus. Paul said that they had swerved from the truth by saying that the resurrection had already happened. Now, you and I might think that, you know, that wouldn't make that big of a difference, would it? Okay, so they got the resurrection date wrong. It's not that big a deal. But Paul says that their teaching will spread like gangrene that it will poison the church and it will dishonor the name of Christ. And he says that they have swerved from their faith. So understanding what we believe and knowing that carefully is very important. But there's also Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. And they wandered in a different way. As members of the church, they saw Barnabas, who had a great reputation for being a servant of God, and they wanted that reputation for being servants, but they didn't want to exhibit a servant's heart. You know, so they, they wanted to be known in the church as significant. And so, you know what they did. They they came and said that, you know, they they, they they sold this land and they wanted to give all the money to the church and they only gave part of the money to the church and, and it cost them their life. But it's amazing that, that that could be a sign of wondering. Just a simple desire to be known in the church as important rather than to be a servant of the Lord's people. But that's how they wondered. And then you have Demas, who he was a close companion of Paul. If anyone understood the Christian life was difficult, it was Demas. I mean, he saw Paul go through all kinds of difficulties. He saw the scars that Paul suffered simply because he preached Jesus Christ. So how did Demas wander? Well, Paul tells us that he had an affair. Now, not not an affair like you're thinking about him having an affair. But how do affairs begin? Well, usually they begin with a glance and then with a moment's attraction and then with a giving yourself to that moment of attraction. And the same thing happened to Demas. And Paul says that instead of loving the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, Demas fell in love with the world, we read in 2 Timothy 4. Verse 10. Now that's very searching for us as Americans where we are so being bombarded with a desire to lust and to love the things of this world. And even in the church today, we we talk so much less about heaven. We talk so much less about hell. And we talk much more about our life here upon this earth and how we are to live it to make our lives as comfortable as it can be. And what happened with Demas was that he fell in lo- love with this world more than he longed for the return of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, a loss of affection for Jesus Christ is not a sign that you are normal. That is not the sign of a Christian. That is the sign of someone who is beginning to wonder from the truth that you are spiritually having an affair with the world. And then there's Simon Peter. Of course, Simon Peter. We've got to talk about Simon, you know. And he wondered, even on several occasions. Now, we might think of his betrayal of Jesus. That's probably the, the, the first thing that comes to mind. But but even after Christ died and he rose again from the dead, Peter was in Galatia. And there was these men that showed up that were pretty intimidating. Okay, these Jews that came from Jerusalem. And they had strong opinions and they were probably hard to stand up against and they were quick to condemn. And and people and, and Peter struggled to stand up against those men. And so what he did was instead of sitting with the Gentiles, he went and sat with the Jews and associated with the, the Judaizers. The thing that I want us to see with Peter is is that a, 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 a temptation to wander is not just a one-time thing. It it can raise its ugly head over and over and over in the Christian life. So I I don't want us to think that if you have struggled with that, that you think, okay, that's over with. I don't have to worry about that anymore. At any moment, Satan could entice any of us to seek to walk away from our God in many ways. And as James speaks about wondering, it's clear that we probably know people like this, right? People that are wondering. Hebrews says that people who wander often stop meeting with God's people. They stop going to church. You know, and, and, and we might think that that's the first sign of somebody who's wandering if they don't come to church. But let me suggest to you that that's oftentimes the last sign. The last sign. That they've been wandering for a long period of time even before that. And that not coming to church is sort of the accumulation of that struggle that they've had now. Let me, now hear this. Hear this. Just because someone has left our fellowship does not mean that we can't pursue them. I would suggest to you that it means we need to pursue them even more. Okay, but don't don't let us think that that's just the beginning of their their struggles. So so James doesn't stop there. He goes on and he not only tells us about this uh, temptation to wander, but also the responsibility that we have to those who are wandering. And I know I talked about this just a little bit earlier, but let me just go over this a little bit more. James says that if anyone wanders, someone, anyone in the church can bring them back. The responsibility belongs to our fellowship. Yes, the elders. Yes, the pastor, as one of those elders, is to be pursuing them. But if you look at Matthew 18, I think it's interesting that the first person to do something with this issue of sin is not the elders of the church. It's you. It's you. Matthew 18 says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you gained your brother. So according to Matthew 18, actually, the elders are to be the last resort. They're the ones that have to say in the end, if that person is not repentant, that you are excommunicated from the church. But the elders are not to be the first resort. That's you, and you, and you, and you. You know, it reminds you of one of Jesus' most famous parables that he tells. There was a man who was lying bloody in the road and a priest comes by and, and he sees the man and by his actions, this priest is basically saying, you know, somebody should do something about that. But he walks on the other side of the road and he goes around the man. And then a Levite comes and he's walking down the road and he looks at the man and he says by his actions, you know, somebody should do something about that. And he walks around the man and he walks down the road. And a Samaritan, a lowly Samaritan, whew, walks down, and he sees that man lying bloody in the road. And the scriptures say, and he had compassion on the man. And the Samaritan said, you know, I should do something about that. And so he did. He gets down in the road, and with his hands bloody from caring for the man, he then hoists him up on his donkey, and he takes time out of his trip to take a side trip to take this man to an inn where he'll be safe and he pays the money to make sure that this man is cared for and he gets to be able to recuperate and he even comes back and says to the innkeeper I will even pay you more whatever I owe you when I get back. So he's going to then inconvenience himself again to come back and to make sure that this man is cared for. The Samaritan gave himself to this man who was bruised and broken because he had compassion upon him. Now, when Jesus told that parable, he was asked the question, who is my neighbor? And it's interesting that Jesus didn't say, well, you know, let me tell you who your neighbor is. Actually, Jesus turned it around to a question and he said, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And what James is telling us this morning is that you are that neighbor for your brothers and sisters in Christ in this congregation, maybe for a friend that's in your life, maybe it's a relative you know that is wandering and struggling from the truth, you are the neighbor. You are the one to show mercy to the wandering brother and sister. Now, how do you do this? You know, that's what struck me about James. James doesn't tell us how to do it. He doesn't mention anything. You know, I'm like, okay, come on. Okay, I'm supposed to do this. Tell me how. But we do see from Jesus' example with Simon Peter how you can pursue someone. So let me give you five things that you can do. First of all, be prayerful for them. Be prayerful for them. You know, if they come to your mind because there is a a spiritual need and there may be somebody whose mind is popping into your head right now if that's the case, pray for them. And I don't mean just pray for them once, but I'm talking about praying regularly for them, pursuing them. Now, I think it's interesting because if you look at James, as I said, beginning with verse 13 all the way down to verse 19, what's James saying? Pray, 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 pray. You know, if things are going well, pray. If things are going uh, bad, pray. If people are sick, pray. You know, if people are in sin, you know, confront them, but Pray. But he doesn't mention prayer when it comes to restoring the sinner. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray, but I think what we need to understand is James is saying we need to do more than just pray. To bring back a sinner requires putting those prayers into action as well. So, prayerfully pray for them, but also be willing to spend time with them as well. So, getting into their life. And as you are, the third thing is be gentle with them. Be gentle. Uh, Paul, talking to the Galatians about a, a believer who has sinned, he says in Galatians 6, one, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Of gentleness. And that's why oftentimes it takes more mature believers uh, to, to deal with someone like that, um, to do so in gentleness. But then the fourth thing is to be bold with them, but sensitive. Be bold with them, But sensitive. You know, it is good to be uh, honest and straightforward, but also understand that they are in a battle with Satan. And they need someone who loves and cares for them. You know, and you would not believe the number of times I have heard Christians who are blunt with other Christians, almost to the point of being cruel, and then they wear that as a badge of honor. Yeah, I told them what to do. You know, I told them that their problem is this. They just need to do this. And they're just like all excited. But let me suggest to you that the last thing that a person needs or wants who's wandering spiritually is to have a spiritual policeman wagging their finger in their face. Or the last thing they need is a spiritual bull in a china shop you know, running through their life Or the last thing that they need is someone who has never, ever even shown them any love or even talked to them or prayed for them and now standing over them, judging them and condemning them. Yes, we need to be bold. Yes, we need to share the truth. But we need to do that with sensitivity. And we need to do that carefully. And then fifth and finally, be with them when they're restored be with them when they're restored I think what that shows is that you've been with them this whole path this whole way you know it's not like you just entered their life you tried to fix them it didn't work you walked away what you're saying is no I'm with you to the end you can keep pushing me away and I'm going to come back and you can yell at me and guess what I'm going to come back you're not going to get rid of me I'm going to stay with you to the end you can surely do these things can you not? You don't have to be an elder in the church to do these things. All we have to do is be servants as Christ was a servant. So, so James gives us the responsibility that we have as a fellowship of what to do. But then we need the motivation. Okay? Do you have any idea what a blessing it is to see someone restored? Have you ever done that? Have you ever seen the blessing of seeing someone restored? I mean, Jesus talks about this in Luke 15, verses 4 through 6. Remember, Jesus leaves the sheep, goes out and finds the one sheep that's lost. And what does Jesus do? Kids, he bends down and he picks that sheep up and he puts him close to him on his shoulders. And he walks back home and he contacts all of his family and his friends. And he said, guess what? I found my sheep. Let's party! And they have this big celebration because he's so excited that he has found this lamb that was lost. But my question is this too. Do you have any idea what a blessing it is to be loved enough to have someone pursue you in the midst of your struggle? You know, sometimes when we're wandering we don't even know it and then maybe eventually down the road we begin to realize i'm wandering i'm not in a good spot i'm i'm really wrestling here but you know sometimes you get so far down that you feel trapped you don't feel like there's any way out and and you may even desire to get out and get back you would you'd love to go to church but you just you just can't and you're struggling and then you look up and there, God has provided someone who loves you enough to be there with you. Someone that's going to cost them. Someone is going to take their time that they could be spending with their family or doing whatever they wanted to do, and they're going to be with you. Someone who's going to put up with all your garbage that you throw at them because you're trapped and you want to get out, but at the same time, you're pushing people away. And you can't figure out why, and you feel helpless to do anything about that. And yet the Lord works in someone's heart, a brother or a sister in Christ, who comes after you and says, Jesus has loved me enough to pursue me, that I gladly come and I seek to pursue you as well. I'm praying and ask God to give me the strength to do that. And so we read in verse 20 this is our motivation. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude. Of sins. You know, I th- I think it's interesting that as churches we talk about front doors and back doors when we talk about people. You know, it's like, yep, we got all these people coming to our church, it's great. But then sometimes you say, But you know, the problem is that our back door's as big as our front door. You know, as fast as they come in, they go out. And that just breaks my heart when I hear churches talk about that. Because these aren't cattle going through a pen, these are souls with eternal destinies. They're going to heaven or to hell. And James calls us to pursue them in the midst of their wandering that they might be saved from death, that is, from, from spiritual death. <sighs> Ezekiel, God says to Ezekiel in Ezekiel 3 that you are a watchman, and if you see someone wandering and you don't do anything about it, then their blood is on your hands. And James is telling us the same thing this morning so we must take the weight of the responsibility that you have as a part of the fellowship of God's people to care for the wonder in order that you might save the wonder from death that is from spiritual death now I can just hear there's somebody in here that's theologically astute enough to say no wait pastor Rick we don't save anybody only Jesus Christ saves and I would say you know i give you that one I agree You know, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus Christ is the only Savior. We're not the Saviors. But as I said earlier, you know, if we serve a God that goes after the wandering, then it only makes sense that as we live in His image that we would go after them as well. And that God so often uses His children as a means to bring back those who are wandering, And so I just want to close by asking you a couple of questions this morning as we prepare to come to the Lord's Supper. First question is, do you know someone who is wandering? Do you know someone who is wandering? Will you pray for them? I mean, really pray for them? Will you love them enough to spend time with them? Or maybe, like I said, it's someone that you've not seen in years. Would you be willing to reach out to them? Maybe on Facebook or maybe you still have their phone number and just say, hey, I've been thinking about you. Can we get together and have a cup of coffee? Are we willing to speak to them to the truth but doing so gently and being sensitive to them? Willing to be there when they are restored? Our second question is this. Are you wondering? Physically you're here obviously, but spiritually are you wondering? You know, may I say that we have all wondered at some point in time and that Christ loves us enough to pursue us. So if you are here today and you were wondering Christ is pursuing you. And 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 let me just even say this if I might that if the words that I'm speaking to you this morning are striking your heart and touching your conscience, then that's something that you should rejoice in because it is truly evidence that the Lord is pursuing you and calling you to come to Him. He's saying, You were wandering, but well, let me restore you. Let me save you from the terrible death towards which you were going. Let me cover you with my blood the blood that covers over all your sins. Let me give you the joy of your salvation once again. Listen to His voice as He calls you back to Himself. And when you hear His voice, obey it and trust Him. Throw yourself upon your mercy and come home. Come home. Let's take a moment and just meditate upon the Word of God that we heard preached this morning. Please bow your heads if you would. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the word that you have given to us. And I pray that you would give us your mind and your heart to love those that are struggling. Lord, I pray that your gospel would so permeate our fellowship as a church, that we would grow to understand the depths of our sin And yet even greater the depths of your salvation that we would consider it a privilege to be inconvenienced in even the greatest of ways to be used of you to reach those that are struggling. And I pray, Lord, this morning for those that might be wrestling with you. Oh, Lord, let them not leave this place and let these words drift from their minds. I pray that that your spirit, the spirit of the living God, would constantly be bringing these words to their minds until, Lord, they give up to you, that they come to me or they come to someone else that they love and they trust in this congregation and say, I'm struggling, I need help. Let them cry out to you and we pray, O God, that you would deliver them for their good and for your glory. We thank you, Lord, and pray these things in your name. Amen.